0: Welcome to
1: SNC's podcast series, SNC Critical Insights. My name is Alex Wilshire. I'm a partner in Sullivan and Cromwell's litigation group, and I'm also the deputy managing partner of our criminal defense and investigations group. With me today is my partner, Judd Littleton. He's also a litigator and he's the co-head of the Supreme Court and appellate practice at the firm. Hi, Judd. Hey, Alex. So, Judd, today we're going to be talking about the Supreme Court decision in a case that the FTC says, and I'm quoting the FTC here, could, quote, significantly impair the FTC's ability to execute its law enforcement mission. The case is named AMG Capital Management versus the FTC. The justices unanimously ruled that Section 13B of the Federal Trade Commission Act does not give the FTC the authority to seek, nor does the statute authorize a court to award equitable monetary relief, including restitution or disgorgement. For listeners who maybe have heard our podcast before, Judd and I have covered the background of the case in prior podcasts, but just to set up the discussion today, let me give a little bit of background about what the legal issue is and why it's so important to the FTC and to companies and people who are impacted by the FTC. So the legal issue concerns what the FTC describes as two of its most important and effective enforcement tools, namely disgorgement and restitution. Those are two closely related concepts. Disgorgement is when the FTC makes a company or a person return the so-called ill-gotten gains of some conduct. Restitution is when the FTC forces the company or the individual to make the consumer or the victim whole for the alleged violation. So in many cases, the amounts of disgorgement and restitution can be the same, but there are cases when there's a difference between the two numbers. Pursuing those monetary remedies has become a staple of the FTC's enforcement actions in the recent decades, and that's to combat violations of the FTC Act. For example, just in the last few years, the FTC has relied on this provision of the statute to secure equitable monetary relief totaling billions of dollars. The problem for the FTC and the question that was raised in the Supreme Court case is that the statute that the FTC is relying on, on its face, doesn't have any language that permits the FTC to pursue either restitution or disgorgement awards. So to get a bit more specific, The relevant provision is Section 13B of the Federal Trade Commission Act. And that provision authorizes the FTC to bring an action in federal court against any person who is violating or who is about to violate any provision of law that the FTC enforces. This statute also provides the FTC with the authority to get a temporary restraining order, a preliminary injunction, or a permanent injunction, But nowhere in the text is there anything about disgorgement or restitution. So for the last 40 years, the federal courts of appeals had nonetheless uniformly held that courts had their power, under their power, to issue a permanent injunction to order that wrongdoers pay restitution and disgorgement. And those courts were relying on two old Supreme Court cases from the 1960s and earlier that broadly held that so long as Congress hasn't limited the equitable power granted to a federal agency in such a way, the federal agency may rely on its equitable powers to get awards such as restitution and disgorgement. The issue has arisen in the last few years, however, that the Supreme Court, specifically in the federal judiciary as a whole, has become much more focused on textualism. And the Chief Justice noted that in the oral argument in this case that there's just been a sea change in terms of the way courts analyze statutes and approach these questions. And so in just the past two years, both the Third Circuit and the Seventh Circuit revisited their prior precedents and held instead that because the statute doesn't say anything about disgorgement or restitution, then the FTC cannot pursue it. So that was the question that was on appeal in this case. And so, Judd, let me ask you now, can you just say a little bit about the background of the case?
0: Sure. So this case uh, involved a consumer protection enforcement proceeding brought by the FTC against defendants who were involved in a number of short-term payday lending businesses. And the FTC alleged that The terms and practices of those payday lending programs were deceptive. And providing evidence of that to the court moved for summary judgment and asked for disgorgement and restitution to all victims who had been affected by the defendant's conduct. And the district court granted that order and ordered the defendants to pay almost $1.3 billion in restitution and disgorgement pursuant to Section 13B. The defendants appealed. And among the arguments that they made on appeal was that Section 13B does not authorize monetary relief, but relying on its own precedent, the Ninth Circuit rejected that argument and said that Section 13B's reference to a permanent injunction does authorize equitable monetary relief. And after that, in light of recently conflicting decisions that you mentioned, the Supreme Court agreed to grant review of the case to resolve this new conflict.
1: So, Judd, after the oral argument in this case, you and I recorded back in January a podcast summarizing what we heard at oral argument and offering some predictions on how the case may come out. And I think we were both feeling like the FTC probably had reason to be pessimistic about how this case was going to come out. But we also thought it was going to be, or at least I thought it was going to be a much closer case than it
0: turned out to be. So what do you make of the 9-0 result here? I really think that the quote and the contrast that you drew out from the chief justice that he mentioned at Oral Argument kind of contrasting the freewheeling approach of the mid-century with the current approach of courts, including the Supreme Court, to statutory interpretation was really on display in this decision. I think the court's opinion is very focused on plain text of the statute, the structure of the statute and how that provision fits into the rest of the congressional scheme. So the court emphasized that the statute at issue, Section 13B, doesn't say anything about financial relief. It only says permanent injunctions. And it looked to the other words that were surrounding those terms and said, it's talking about restraining orders and preliminary injunctions to stop a person who is violating. And the court said, these words indicate that Section 13B is intended to address only this problem of stopping seemingly unfair practices from taking place in real time while the commission can determine the lawfulness of those practices. And then the court looked to the structure and specifics of other enforcement provisions in the FTC Act and said that Congress and other provisions has specifically empowered the FTC to seek other equitable relief in addition to injunctions. And in the cases where it does seem to authorize monetary relief, Congress has put a more stringent burden or more specific conditions on the FTC's ability to seek that relief. And so in light of all of this, the court in reasoning that made it seem like a very straightforward conclusion, said, this doesn't seem to be a particularly close case. And it's clear that given the unanimity of the court on this, that appears to be true. They didn't find it to be all that close in the end.
1: And you never would have guessed that from the oral argument, where the justices really seemed to be quite conflicted about it. And they raised all sorts of arguments that I think they found at the time to be compelling that weren't textual arguments, but nonetheless never really made it into the court's final opinion. And two things in particular that I thought were noteworthy, at oral argument, the justices were concerned about the fact that we, the court, have been living with the FTC doing this for 40 years now in terms of the expectation of the public and the agency and everybody else. This is well-trod ground now. And why should we, the Supreme Court, be coming in now and throwing this all up into the air? And there really was not much reference to that point at all in the written opinion. And then the second point that the justices were really struggling with at oral argument was just about the policy implications here. And the FTC is very concerned, and and I, I say this based on their own public statements, about what this means for their enforcement program going forward. After the decision came out, the acting chair of the FTC issued a very forceful statement where she said that the ruling deprived the FTC of one of its strongest tools to help consumers. And I'm quoting her here now, she says, quote, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of scam artists and dishonest corporations, leaving average Americans to pay for illegal behavior. We urge Congress to act swiftly to restore and strengthen the powers of the agency so that we can make wronged consumers whole. And I think at oral argument, many of the justices were sympathetic to that view But then when you read the opinion, Justice Breyer just has less than a paragraph on this point saying the FTC may have good policy arguments, but Congress is the place to take up that point. So surprising to me, certainly. Let's move on now to the implications of the case. What do you think this means, Judd, going forward? What's the biggest implication you see?
0: Yeah, so just picking up on that last point that you were making, I think it is clear that this decision is going to have a really significant impact on the way the FTC does its business. And this was a consumer protection case, but the FTC also uses 13B as an enforcement tool in antitrust cases to seek disgorgement in antitrust cases that it brings. And the commission argued to the court with an oral argument and in briefs filed to the court that this was a critically important tool that they use to enforce the statutes that they're charged with enforcing. The FTC said, over the past four decades, we've secured billions of dollars in relief for consumers in a wide variety of cases involving deceptive practices. And the counsel arguing for the FTC at the oral argument acknowledged to the court said, look, we use Section 13B more often than any other of our statutory authorities. So it's clear that it's going to really changed the way the FTC does business now that the FTC can no longer obtain any monetary relief for customers pursuant to that provision?
1: For me, I think the next biggest implication of this is that the FTC is clearly going to be taking up Justice Breyer's invitation and lobbying Congress to fix the statute. Last year in 2020, the commission had asked Congress to expand its remedial authority. There was at least one bill introduced before Congress last year that would have accomplished that. And just two days before the court's decision came out, again, the FTC and written statements to Congress, again, urged the Congress to act here. And again, the, that statement said that this case presented a grave threat to the FTC and that if Congress does not act promptly, the FTC's ability to protect consumers will be significantly impaired. And I should say that there is some reason for the FTC to be hopeful here. There was precedent for this from last year where the Supreme Court decided in the Liu versus SEC case that the SEC's ability to get disgorgement was narrower than what the SEC was arguing. And Seemingly, in response to that ruling, on January 1st of 2021, Congress passed a large spending bill, and within that spending bill was a provision that allowed the SEC to get disgorgement in a much broader range of cases. So there are occasions where Congress maybe does hear what the court is doing.
0: Another implication is, how is the FTC going to fulfill its mission now that Section 13B has been taken off the table? Uh, as a method of obtaining monetary relief. And I think as the Supreme Court noted, there are Section 5 and Section 19 of the FTC Act, which require administrative proceedings first and a cease and desist order. I think we can expect that the FTC will start initiating administrative proceedings more often now than it has in the past. And one other thing worth noting is that Rohit Chopra, who is one of the current FTC commissioners and the nominee to be the director of the CFPB, has proposed that the FTC should make more use of its authority to formally declare practices as penalty offenses in cease and desist orders. And once it's done that, It can obtain civil penalties against anyone who engages in that practice. And civil penalties can run much higher than disgorgement and restitution because they're not tied to the amount of money that the defendant actually made.
1: Just to wrap it up here, you just mentioned the CFPB, and that's one other question we've been asked is, okay? the SEC has had its ability to get disgorgement narrowed by the courts. Now the FTC has as well what does this mean potentially for other agencies that may be seeking disgorgement and monetary relief along those lines, including the CFPB and including the federal banking agencies? And I think on that one, the answer is that this uh, holding from the Supreme Court really probably will not directly affect the ability of those other agencies to continue to seek disgorgement and restitution. And that's mainly because they're Organic statutes just differ textually from the statute that the FTC operates under. So that concludes our podcast for today. I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. And Judd, I'd also like to thank you for joining me today and in prior podcasts to talk about this case. It's been a really fun one to follow with you and look forward to doing it again in
0: the future. Thanks. I've enjoyed it. Bye, everyone.